nothing, nothing, nothing at this point would surprise me. Today is Monday, October 10th, 2022, time for episode 180 of the Barnhart Podcast. We've really done 180 of these? We've, we've pulled a 180 at this point? We've done a full 180. <laughs> well, and, I'm, and, I'm not known for, for doing full 180s, but we've done it now. Well, in terms of doing things backwards, we might as well do one of the donation, donation notes now instead of the, at the end of the show. Why and, not? And one of the donors, Rick, sent a note saying, I'm glad to hear that Ann mentioned that she was going to be doing a podcast with Nurse Claire. I'm so happy that she's not mad at her now, too. <laughs> fighting. Fighting. Yeah, this, this joke about, about people not getting along and fighting. I don't think we're, this is ever going to go away. Strifes and dissensions. Strifes and dissensions. Oh, it's flattering. It's flattering that... People want us to do podcasts. The the little meme that the was sent in of Daffy Duck crawling crawling through the desert, dying of thirst, says, I need I need a Barnhart podcast. Aw, isn't that nice? That, that was hilarious. You said yeah. that to me. I, I just cracked up laughing. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. It's it's and again, time time flies. It's been it's been three weeks. Almost three weeks. Okay. I was going to say, are we going on a month or it just, it seems like just the other day, but no, yeah, three I was weeks. just writing down the date for the podcast in my notebook here in mm-hmm. blue ink, of course, and writing down uh, to, you know, 10, 10, 2022, or as they say in Europe, 10, 10, 2022. So. <laughs> it's so confusing. <laughs> Uh, I've, I've had a very busy afternoon messing with my lawn to try to get it to grow grass. And I, I, I know that you've got some topics and I didn't really do a whole lot of research, although I did listen to the entire, um, no agenda podcast. So I might be able to, um, pu- uh, punch in with some ideas of, of, of anything relevant and topical. Um, I meant to listen to, actually, I meant to listen to today's, um, uh, Ben Shapiro show. Cause I heard that the Russians launched like 70 missiles into the Ukraine. Yes. It's, it's fascinating. Um, it, it is sometimes the the mainstream media, Washington, D.C., whoever it is that's putting out this propaganda, with, within the same day, within the same sunrise to sunset day, they will claim simultaneously that Russia is on the brink of complete and total defeat and also that Russia is pummeling them and kicking their butt and... It's just, it's unbelievable to watch. Um, but apparently it is true that, yes, Russia has launched all kinds of, of strikes. And I, I don't know what the hell these people were expecting. I mean, you blow up both of the, you, the U.S., the, the Washington, D.C. cabal clearly blew up both of the Nord Stream pipelines. Um, and then they also blew up the... Um, the bridge that that connects what is it the Crimea with with Russia? Um, yeah, the Crimean was, bridge, which which is like a, a three billion dollar project that the Russians just finished uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. It was a non trivial effort, and and apparently they they okay. So one report says it was blown up. Another report from from Russia was saying that they had minimal traffic going over it twenty four hours later. So who knows what to believe there. And with regard to the Nord Stream pipelines blowing up, my first question is where was the USS USS Jimmy Carter? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Now do you do you know the significance of, of, of mentioning that particular boat? 
The Jimmy Carter? Uh... It's a Seawolf-class submarine, and that's not so special in itself, but it is the successor to the USS Parchy, which also is the successor to somebody else. Uh, throughout the the history of the Navy, from about the 60s, there have been a series of, of submarines that were highly modified for doing, uh, shall we say, bottom-of-ocean work, uh, whether it was tapping... Mm-hmm. Whether it was tapping undersea telephone cables uh, and, and tapping the, the the it was it was the Russian telephone lines basically, so they were uh, they had tapped the the phone line at, up at Moransk and and also over on on the west coast of of, um, of Russia, uh, sneaking in and out of the uh, of the areas and never being detected. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have the ability to do uh, fiber optic uh, splicing or cutting uh, stuff at the bottom of the ocean. It, it's it's yeah. a it's a uh, something I never really thought of uh, until the whole Nord Stream thing happened, and and, uh, and and of course my first thought was where's the USS Jimmy Carter? And doing a little googling, came across a a, a book, uh, Blind Man's Bluff. It's a reference to all of the spying and espionage that's been done by the U.S. USS or I'm sorry, the U.S. Navy since the origin of of the nuclear navy and, and even before. Very interesting things. It's, it's not something that even I thought of initially. It's like you know these things. The submarines are really good at hiding, and they can be right off your shore, and just a few feet underwater. And unless you run into them, you don't even know they're there. And there, there was a case, of, a couple of cases where there were serious collisions between submarines because the Russians didn't know the American sub was right there, and mm-hmm. ran right into it. So, it, it in terms of espionage and being able to do secret things, yeah, we've got abilities that um, are still very highly classified. And that was my first thought was. In terms of who can get in there quietly and do something nefarious, my first thought was USS, USS Jimmy Carter. Well, I mean, it isn't even a secret. Biden, you know, sponge brain pants. You can bleep that for for Mother Superior if you want. Um, he he said he outright said that that the Nord Stream pipelines would cease to be if if dot 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 and was asked well what does that mean and how do you have the ability to do that and he said well we have the ability to do it and it was very clear what he was saying and right away there were um i don't know if if the listenership watches these things but i do to some extent there are all kinds of tracking apps where you can watch air traffic and this that and the other in real time and they immediately, people were posting um, movements of the U.S. Navy vessel, and I believe it was the Kearsarge, was a, you know, a surface vessel that was right there and was circling around, circling around, circling around, circling around, so exactly where, you know, these, the, in fact, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline explosion was. And there was also, um, there was also a, uh, an Air Force I don't know what what sort of I can't remember what sort of plane it was, but it did a full. I mean, it took off from the United States, flew all the way across the ocean, refueled, and it took it like a, it took it like ninety minutes to refuel. It then went circled, 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 circled directly over where the pipeline explosions were, and then flew back and landed in the United States um, without ever landing in Europe. And they, I mean, people were posting all of this, the tracking on all of this immediately when this happened. It's, it's quite clear that, that the U.S. did, oh, and then um, American, um, you know, deep state toadies were posting on Twitter 
thank thank you for doing this USA you know I mean one one guy who posted that was the husband of refresh me it was that it was the husband of some extremely high level uh, uh, Washington DC regime uh, woman bureaucrat literally saying thank you for doing this oh, well there you go I mean it's you nobody nobody's fooled by any of this I've seen I've seen some report some commentary that oh no this is just typical Russian incompetence and you know they they're horrible at maintaining anything and there was just there was some sort of a, a maintenance problem and some some condensation plug formed in the thing and and it exploded well oh come on come on two of them right together at the same time after threats were made with all of this going on um in in retaliation it it seems and there was again there was talk and and sword rattling about this in retaliation and as a warning to europe after that um that woman in in italy who is considered to be on the far right won the italian election it, this this was all done basically trying to cut europe off um as a warning by by the washington dc regime but europeans in general are so liberal does a far right um politician in europe is that more like lindsey graham here uh, you know we'll, we'll see um this chick is saying things that for europeans is i mean on the political spectrum for europeans some of the things she's saying is is just ultra 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 right wing i mean for us it's it's basic moral sanity but for europeans it's ultra ultra right wing however she's fully in bed on this fake ukraine war so she's in favor of sending sending ukraine you know armaments and and munitions and so forth and and dragging italy into into this ridiculous war when italy and all of them all of them need to be figuring out a way to make peace with putin and that is part i mean if you if you make these people the offer all right how, how about this partition ukraine give all of the russian speak russian speaking areas to putin um put up put up a firm border and um give the western parts you know to ukraine and let them join nato they'll say no they'll say no and that that tells me that what the objective here is is the objective is war why and that's that's obviously what the objective is what the washington dc regime the freemasons all of it they want not just war they want a nuclear holocaust in order to basically shut down Europe and to to bring bring an end to any sort of normal economic activity um, to kill as many people as possible this is all part and parcel with the human population reduction these people are so insane and so satanic that they absolutely want to kill off as many uh, you know hundreds of millions of people if they can get away with it in the name of their satanic um their satanic religion which they hide behind the guise of environmentalism or or sustainability or whatever it is you want to call it you know the 
the corona scam is proceed is proceeding apace and it, it's killing people but it's not killing people as many people as fast i suspect as they want they're impatient um they know that they've killed a hell of a lot of people and a hell of a lot of people are going to continue to die and that a hell of a lot of people are permanently sterilized by this stuff but they've got power and they're they're so bloodthirsty that they just and you know remember pull your focus back who is the driver behind all of this it's satan evil is aggressive it never rests it's constantly moving it's constantly acting and you know satan and his minions are in the driver's seat they're not gonna back off they're gonna they're gonna mash the throttle only only losers like the so-called conservative right in the post-christian west only only losers like us back off when when we've got any sort of any sort of momentum that's that's tactical madness the way you know we are just constantly snatching snatching victory for, for snatching defeat from the jaws of victory you know you have to invert it um so yeah i think they they see an opportunity to to start a nuclear a nuclear conflagration a nuclear holocaust and they're gonna go they're gonna go forward with it the question in my mind is whether or not putin is if they're all in cahoots together and putin is on board with this plan or whether there is a genuine antagon antagonism between them, or if it's all kayfabe, and you know we've talked and talked and talked and talked about kayfabe and how they're all they're all on the same team and they're all in it together. I mean, put, there's pictures of Putin with Klaus Schwab being a member of the World Economic Forum, um, especially before the Corona scam, and and Putin continues to issue all kinds of um uh injection mandates they're not they're not vaccines including the russian one there is no vaccine for any cold there is no vaccine for the for a cold and corona ultimately is just a coronavirus it's a type of cold um there is no vaccine for that these things are just straight up poisonous injections and putin has his own flavor his own special flavor of that he keeps pushing that on russians that right there is a is a red flag signal up the pole sounds to me like putin's probably in on all of this with them together and it wouldn't surprise me at all if there's a, if there's a explicit degree of coordination between putin and the the washington dc deep state and the new world order and the chinese communist party all working together to bring all of this to fruition and they will kill as they will kill as many people they will kill every ukrainian to the last man woman and child they will kill every every pole every german every european they don't care dead dead people dead human beings especially especially dead white christian heteronormative people is the objective always always remember that so it's just part part of the it's just another piece of the pie it seems to me so two parts here if if putin isn't in on all this he really is trying to be a russian nationalist and being frustrated at every turn by the evil mm -hmm. west 
then if he's going to use nuclear weapons, why would he do it in a tactical sense in Ukraine? Why not hire a jihadist? They've got a whole number yeah. of them on speed dial. It's like, look, um, Ahmed, I'll give you this very special suitcase as long as you take it to London. Yeah. How do we know that that isn't going to happen? How do we know that that isn't exactly what's being... Yeah, exactly. Um, nothing, nothing, nothing at this point would surprise me. If you tell me, if I wake up tomorrow morning and look at the news and there's reportage that a nuclear device has been detonated in the United States, in anywhere in Europe, including Western Europe, anywhere, it will not surprise me at all. And, you know, the, the term false flag at this point is almost, it's overused in the sense that, I mean, do, does it apply? Because there hasn't been, it seems to me, there hasn't been a straight up honest war in any large scale on this planet for quite some time. Everything has been just some sort of new world order, deep state BS for decades and decades and decades now. So to call things false flags presumes that there's any honest actors to start with, you know? That's why everybody keeps saying this and everybody keeps screeching it and it just, it just get, it's old and tired and played. Um, you know, it's like it's like turning on the professional wrestling and saying, well, this, this is a false flag attack when, you know, Hulk Hogan climbs into the ring with uh, Randy Macho Man Savage and, you, and somebody starts talking about this being a false flag. Well, that's not the right word. It's not that it's a false flag. It's that it's kayfabe. It's theater. It's all fake from the beginning. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's. That's why our Lord said there will be wars and rumors of wars. It will be extremely difficult to know what exactly is going on. The only thing we can be assured of is that these players are evil. And again, this whole business of lining up, well, if you're, if you're not on the side of Ukraine and the Washington DC deep state, then you're a Putin fan, Putin file, and, and you're on team Putin. Well, if, if that's, if you're, if your thinking is is so lacking in nuance at this point that you still don't understand that this isn't a you know black white left right straight up binary binary issue and you can't see that that all of the players on all sides and there's more than two sides in this if you can't see that all of these people are evil and despicable um at this point, after after nearly three years of this corona scam, you still can't get your head around that. It um, I don't know. I guess I guess some people just never will. Yeah, um, if people don't wake up to some some of the things that are pretty darn obvious. Talking about corona scam, I'm sure you saw the the uh, pronouncement by a French general talking about the the unvaccinated being superheroes. Mm -hmm. We might talk about that at some other time in another podcast. But in terms of the the nuclear devices, let's say it shows up a, a very low yield special briefcase shows up and goes into action outside Buckingham Palace. 
Oh shucks, we don't have Chucky anymore. I think you had something to say about the about the change of of command in Buckingham Palace. The change of command. <laughs> yes, I I wrote a piece um, earlier in the week, finally uh, about the death of Queen Elizabeth and about specifically about how Catholics were just lionizing her and oh this wonderful dear woman and grandmother to the world and on and oh what a wonderful Christian woman she was and I'm just sitting there looking at this and thinking what in the world are these people thinking and talking about especially the Catholics I mean George Weigel and they're even trads there's lots and lots and lots of Anglo trads and Anglophile trads and and fantasy Anglo trads and and they're all just oh well falling all over themselves and oh Queen Elizabeth this Queen Elizabeth and now and now talking about His Majesty King Charles and da 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 like Charles is a train wreck but but even beyond that let's talk about let's talk about Queen Elizabeth herself. This woman presided over the most severe and rapid civilizational, cultural, societal, religious, and imperial implosion in human history. I mean, just sit and look at a map of what the, the British Empire was in 1952 when she ascended the throne and what it is now. Look, just stop and look at the culture. Look at, you know, old television shows then the, the primary example that i cited was um what we all watched growing up was all creatures great and small you know depicting depicting that um that phase right before and right after she ascended the throne in the in the post-war era and into the 50s and um and look at what british culture is now you couldn't pay me you couldn't pay me to go anywhere near the UK. I have no interest at all, even though I'm my genetics are, are half Anglo, half English. I have zero interest in going anywhere near that place whatsoever. And, and I mean Corona crap notwithstanding. Even, even in the pre-Corona period, I have no interest seeing any of it. I, I don't want to be around it. The culture is absolutely disgusting. It is post-Christian. It's dangerous. Um, the One of the statistics that I posted is that today, when she ascended the throne in 1952, I believe the number I saw, I think, was 97%. London was 97% British. Not just British, but white, you know? It was 97% white. And today, London is 45% white, which means, <laughs> now think about that. Think about how many Polish immigrants there are in the UK and how many Ukrainian immigrants there are in the UK and have been all along. White is, is counting those people. So the city of London is 45% white, of which a significant percentage of those people are are non-Anglo, non-Anglo in any way, severely foreign, like Poles and Ukrainians. Um, this is this is the biggest race replace, biggest fastest race replacement uh, operation 
again, it seems to me that has ever been executed in human history. And she's the head of state for all of that. You say, well, she doesn't, she doesn't, um, she doesn't have any actual authority. Then what the hell, what, what's the $20 billion net worth for? I thought the justification for these people, this family, having this net worth of 20 billion, and that's what, they, that's what they confess to, that's what they fess up to, is 20 billion. I thought the justification for them having that kind of a net worth was, well, you know, you have to have that kind of net worth because you have this massive responsibility of being head of state, head of nation, head of the Church of England. You know, this is, this is, this is a massive responsibility. But in the same breath, people will say, well, oh, no, that she has she and now and now Charles, the monarch of England, the sovereign of England has absolutely no authority whatsoever. And it's all ceremonial and it's all fake. Well, which is it? It's one or the other. And that was, this is the driving point. And this is, again, I reiterated it in a post that I just posted today, Monday, um, that it seems to me that this is all a huge psyop. And one of the, and one of the primary object objectives of all this of the Freemasons allowing the British monarchy to continue is precisely because it is it has conditioned people to be completely at ease with the idea of the people who are presented as the head of state, as the head of nation, as the ruler, as the leader, whatever it is, of not actually having any real authority at all. I want to jump well, in. I want to jump in on this point because I, sure. I sent your four thousand word blog post to a friend of mine who's, mm -hmm. uh, what is the name of the denomination? Is Scottish Calvinist? Is that Presbyterian? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so he, he's not Roman Catholic, and he doesn't he doesn't have any any love for Anglicans. Is the point? And he was amused at your very Catholic uh, statements, as you would make, of course. But in terms of what was the point of the, of the monarchy, they. Elizabeth ratified everything. He made the point that the purpose of the monarchy at this point is to maintain the monarchy. It isn't for the good of England. It isn't for rationality or anything else. It's simply to maintain the monarchy. And he went mm -hmm. on this historical diatribe that ever since uh, Magna Carta, the the office of, of the crown has been chipped away at more and more and more to the mm -hmm. point that in modern times, it's it's been a while. I can't even tell. I couldn't even say when 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 this happened officially. Maybe after King Henry VIII sometime. Um, that yes, if the if the crown ever tried to assert its authority, then it would be formally dissolved by Parliament, and and the English would have nothing. Would have wouldn't stand for it. They, they they won't stand for the king actually or queen uh, asserting their authority, proroguing Parliament, taking direct control. Even though on paper they have all that authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That at this point, the number one goal for the for the the Windsors is to maintain the Windsors. So yes. screw England, screw everything else. Just we keep the family going because we know that this novelty and curiosity that is the British royal family brings in more money every single year by people visiting Buckingham Palace and, and mm -hmm. visiting all the royal stuff and buying the magazines and everything else. If they actually bring more money into the UK than the UK pays to to, to keep their lifestyle going. I mean, they refer to themselves, the royal family refers to themselves as the firm. So, I mean, that right there tells you kind of the mindset that they're in. Um, but even 
I, I would argue, and I, I think that your, your, your correspondence point is absolutely true, but I would argue that under her 70-year um, disastrous quote-unquote reign, that it moved, the British monarchy moved completely into being a 100% violation of the law of non-contradiction this they get up they they read these things and they say that she is our liege lord and now charles is our liege lord sovereign head of state head of nation yada 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 and then at the same time they all swear up and down that nobody has any power at all um although so, I, I would i would counter i did you ever see the movie the king's speech yes and this this jives wonderfully with one of your other themes that you talk about with regard to the to the papacy. If there's anything that the the crown is still good for, it's the mark of unity for all mm-hmm. British people. Mm-hmm. And during the dark days of World War II, was it? Yeah, who, Elizabeth's dad. I can't remember which which name. George the sixth. George the sixth. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Name name and number whatever he was. Mm-hmm. He he gave the speeches that unified the British Empire. It still was an empire that never had the sunset on it. You know, good job, Lizzie. You you screwed that up too. But he was he was at at a time of crisis. He was able to bring about a sense of unity and togetherness that no act of Parliament, no speech by Churchill could have ever done. And I suspect that maybe if the firm, uh, if you want to call them that, has any aspirations for doing anything more than just being a mere figurehead and, and maintaining their own existence as their their primary objective, that at some point, if a gigantic crisis ever arises, that at the very least, the institution of the, of the, of the monarchy could step forward as a guiding light to make something happen. The but weird- that, that, that just happened. The corona scam just happened and Prince Philip died and they made they made her walk in to it wasn't Westminster Cathedral. I think it was at Windsor. It was some some chapel at Windsor Castle for his funeral. They made her walk in there. She's 94, 95 at this point. It was only a year ago that he died. She walks in alone. Nobody can get anywhere near her. And she's wearing a full face covering burqa. And she has to sit completely alone, completely segregated from everyone else at her own husband's funeral. They they were 1,000% all in. And she was 1,000% all in on the corona scam projecting that you need to submit to this and look at this she's she's sitting all alone and her own family can't won't get anywhere near her and she has her face completely covered in a giant black burqa block yada 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 um so i mean but yes the the monarchy and again this points directly to all of it as it relates to the papacy and why Freemasonry is at war with all monarchy. But really, the huge point right now is because we see this happening with the papacy, the Trad Inc. people. They just had a conference, um, the what is it called? The Catholic Identity Conference, you know, organized by Mike. That just happened. Organized oh, by that. Mike Matt, the remnant. You know, they they do it every year. And um, 
And the, the entire point of especially this year's Catholic Identity Conference is that we, we all have to be united and resist the Pope who they swear up and down is Bergoglio. They swear up and down it's Bergoglio. And we have, to, we have to resist him. The papacy has no real authority. If you talk to these people privately, at this point, they're all openly saying, they're basically taking 1,000%, and I've been saying this for years, guys. They're, I mean, put on your aprons, Mike, Matt. Put on, put on your apron, Peter Kwasniewski. All y'all, put on your aprons because you're doing 1,000% Freemasonic work. You are tearing down the authority of the papacy. And exactly like the monarchy of, of the UK or any of the other meaningless figurehead monarchies that have been essentially toppled by, by Freemasonry over the past, oh, 100 plus years, um... And you can, you can say this about the monarchy of Spain. You can say this about the monarchy, whichever ones are still surviving in name only. Um, uh, Denmark still has a monarchy. Um, Sweden still has a meaningless monarchy. These, all of these institutions have been overthrown by Freemasonry. And the reason that they are allowed any public um, visibility at all under any guise is precisely to this point. It's to, it's to convince people and inculcate into people the idea that the people who were presented to you as being in power and being in authority don't actually have any power. We all know this and everybody's fine with it. The people who are running everything, the people who you owe your fealty to, and the people that you have to gather around and point to and say, that is our leader and that is the, that is the center of unity, also has no power whatsoever. And now in, now in the case of the Bergolian anti-papacy, the Freemasons have gotten a man into the Vatican. They have an anti-pope in place. It's openly visible everybody sees it and the driving agenda and that's what the agenda of this stupid synod on synodality on on the synod i mean the, all this business what it's all about is presenting the idea that the guy who's in charge isn't really in charge and this this isn't just about monarchy and biden Everybody knows that Biden is dying of dementia. Everyone's known Biden's been dying of dementia since before the fake election. Um, everybody knows that Biden is not calling the shots on anything whatsoever. Biden is not the chief of executive of the United States. Everybody knows this and everybody's fine with it that's that's the thing that's interesting to me you've got people now more and more starting to point out and this is kind of heartening to see that even the white house sycophant press corps is calling the the press secretary that that black dyke that they've got now as the as the press secretary um when jean-claude pierre van Damme. jean jean-claude van van dyke yeah <laughs> um um when when Biden was was at that memorial service for that 
that uh, congresswoman who was killed in a car accident in August, and he's trying and he's trying to call her up on the stage. He's saying, where is she? Where is she? Jackie, I think her name, Jackie something or other from Indiana. Yeah, and eventually where, he says, I guess she's not here. I guess she's not. Where, where are Jackie? Are you here? Come on up. Jackie? Oh, no, I guess she's not here. No kidding, and, Joe. Yeah, it's 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 her memorial service, basically. Her family's all sitting there in the front row. And the, the White House press corps asked three consecutive questions to Jean-Claude Van Dyke. Um, what what the hell's going on here? She's dead. Why why is he trying to call her up on stage? Oh, she was at the forefront of his mind. And this this lying, the fact that the White House press corps was even asking these questions was frankly shocking to me that there's any degree of of independent thought there at all. But what what the follow-up question needs to be, it's everybody knows that that uh Biden is in the throes of dementia everybody knows this the question needs to be who in the hell is is running the is running the washington dc the executive branch whatever whatever it is that you want to call it who in the hell is setting the agenda is making decisions is calling the shots in any way because it's clearly not him it's big bank barry well, Big Bank, not even Big Bank Barry, and I put this in my piece today, Big Bank Barry, Barry Satoro, everybody knew that he wasn't, he wasn't running anything. He's, he's an imbecile, and he was too busy sitting in the, the upstairs lounge directly above the Oval Office. He would go in there, lock himself in there with Reggie Love, um, who was widely 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 reported to be and there i've seen pictures of of reggie love when he was at duke engaging in in sodomitical activities that reggie love was obama's number one sodomitical partner they would go lock themselves up in that office directly above the oval office and they would just sit up there with espn on with espn on all day and engaging in sodomitical acts and that's that's what barry's and and doing drugs and that's what barry's life was and they would just trot barry out you know whenever they needed him to read something off of a teleprompter and i it was absolutely fascinating there was one time when um you know barry when he was off teleprompter couldn't answer a question could not answer a question so there's the famous incident when um, Obama turned a presidential was had a press conference going, and for whatever reason, Bill Clinton was was there, was in the White House, and was in the room, and was standing over on the side at the side, and and Barry Obama, you know, makes opening remarks, reads his script, and then says, "Well, uh, Michelle has a Girl Scout troop here that I'm supposed to go." Uh, meet for a reception and you know, I don't I don't want to get Michelle mad at me So I'm just gonna go ahead and turn this over to former President Clinton Absolutely unbelievable Clinton takes takes the days and proceeds to just hold forth and hold this press conference where for the first time in Ever since Obama had gotten in there's somebody standing there at the podium who's actually answering questions now What Clinton is saying is evil and bad and wrong 
But Clinton is at least speaking and speaking extemporaneously and answering press questions. I mean, it was it was an absolutely stunning occurrence when that happened. So um, where was I, I going? I want to talk, talk about that for a minute. So okay. I, I've heard that from a priest who talks to many exorcists that pretty much every and this was at the at the time, I think uh, Obama had just been elected. He was saying that pretty much every president for the last six or seven had been demonically possessed, but definitely Definitely uh, Clinton for sure, and and uh, Obama, and then, you know take that with a grain of salt if you want. What I, so I remember this and and listening on the radio the first time Obama ever gave a presidential press conference, and I was expecting, given this you know the way he talked during the campaigns and uh-huh. all the speeches he gave, when the very first presidential press conference he gave, and and again this is the difference between listening on radio versus seeing it on TV. I had to, I had to came to the conclusion. I was telling my wife, it's like okay, if he's possessed, he's possessed by a by a mute demon, because yeah. he stammered and stuttered and couldn't oh, get yeah. a coherent sentence out. As opposed to Bill Clinton, he was so slick. I mean, that was the oh, whole yeah. that was the whole nickname. Slick and there, Willie. There, yeah. there were there was a comedy routine by Frank Caliendo. I mean, he talking about how slick Bill Clinton was that he could look you in the eye and say, "I am not here," and and you'd believe it. It's like what is yeah. here. What's the difference between here and there, except for the T? And and, and this is the 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 comedy. I should link that in the show notes because it's actually pretty funny. But he uh, Clinton had the ability to just sell you anything. I feel your pain, and Mm -hmm. as opposed to Obama, it's like okay, if there wasn't a teleprompter there, he couldn't figure out anything. I mean, at least Clinton, yes, he gave very polished speeches. Without notes, which was much to the uh, amazement of the French president at the time, and and then he he revealed uh, Clinton did that teleprompters are wonderful. So giving a long speech, teleprompters are great. But he also had the ability, as as a Rhodes scholar, he should. He had the ability to speak extemporaneously as well. I don't yeah. think Obama ever did that. That wasn't no. a, that wasn't a requirement nope. for the CIA. Oh, I know where I was going with the rest of this. With with the rest of this, okay. So we have this incident where. Obama turns the press conference over to Clinton and there's just this manifest manifest difference between the two of them and you realize what an imbecile Obama is then after that I can't remember what what exactly happened but it was something during or just as the NCAA basketball tournament was getting ready to start or approaching or it just started or something and Obama and I can't remember the context, but he's he's standing in front of um, a bracket. You know how we all fill out brackets. For it was March an, it was an ESPN and, interview. It, it was a, an ESPN. It, okay, it was a yep. segment on ESPN where uh, a camera crew and a presenter showed up and interviewed um, Barry on mm-hmm. college basketball. And this dude held forth. Held forth. Oh, oh yeah. he could he could have gone toe to toe with Dick Vitale. On, oh, absolutely. On, on every aspect of every team, yep. uh, on in the whole bracket. I mean, he was clued in. He was he knew everything he was talking about. Yep. Because that's what he was into. Couldn't that's care less right. about everything because else. He was he was sitting upstairs with Reggie Love, doing drugs, engaging in sodomy, and watching sports all day every day. That's what the dude did. And so, but back to your point, and I kind of touched on this in my, in my piece today. I mean, whether or not they are possessed, oppressed, um, I made the point that 
the, the last president, speaking of Bill Clinton, that I buy as actually having any real authority, and, and this, it seems to me pretty obvious, is in fact Clinton. I think Clinton was getting up in the morning, going to the Oval Office, and, you know, be, being, if, if not the order giver, I, I think he was probably getting orders from above, from, you know... George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush, fr uh, Freemasonry, you know, Klaus Schwab and all those people have been active. Remember, um, um, Malachi Martin wrote Windswept House in during the, during the Clinton administration, during the 90s. So, I mean, all those people have been active. Klaus Schwab didn't just crawl out of a hole. He's been around for decades and decades now. So, but I do think that Bill Clinton probably had at least some degree of control and authority and power within, within the context of the White House, such as it was. It was obvious that, that Cheney was running the, the George Bush 43 White House and probably George Bush 41 and Cheney, the two of them together, were probably the the driving authority in the Bush, the George W. Bush administration. Obama, we just covered that. Trump, uh, uh, again, I'm not sure. It's 50-50 with me. Is Trump kayfabe? 100% kayfabe? Because it seems to me that Trump, likewise, spent a hell of a lot of time sitting upstairs in that same office directly above the Oval Office and Trump fully admitted that he was watching cable news. He was just obsessively watching cable news, watching what they were saying about him and then on Twitter and you by his tweet history, you can look at the timestamps and see that Trump was during the day, every day, screwing around on Twitter. Well, if you're actually running the executive branch of the United States of America, how in the hell do you have time? How could you possibly have time to be watching TV or to be on Twitter at all? It doesn't make any sense. So, you know, did, did Trump actually have any real authority or we all just completely gamed or was, you know, Javanka running things and they were just enough out of step and out of sync with the New World Order that, that it threw them off? Um, I don't think we're going to know the full story until our Lord returns in glory and there's the, there's the general judgment. But it, it's been, it's been, this has been going on for decades and decades and decades now where everybody kind of pretty much knows that the guy who's trotted out isn't isn't really in charge. Do I think that Truman called, made the decision on whether or not to drop the bombs on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Yeah, I actually do. Do I think Eisenhower was actually running things in the White House in the 50s? Yeah, I do. I think I, I got think a question that actually JFK was. I think that's why they killed JFK. I got a question it, that actually I, I would say that that Truman wasn't running the show. Thirty third degree Mason, he may have been, but he still takes orders. Woodrow Wilson, dude, wasn't smart enough to be president of the United States. He was barely president. Of, was it uh, Columbia or Princeton? Yeah, I, I think Yale, Teddy Roosevelt yeah. might have been the last truly 
in charge president that we've had. Mm. I, I go, got to go back and look in history, but in in terms of when things were going down uh, of real significance, I think Kennedy had the tacit promise made that he wasn't going to rock the boat, and then when he stepped out of line, he got whacked. Right. Right. I think I think Reagan was was had the same treatment, but but uh, calibrated his his uh, outlook once he got a almost the same almost when he almost got the Kennedy treatment. Yeah, I, I don't think the presidency has been what it's presented to be. Yeah, at least for over hundred years. I, I want to yeah. say since Teddy Roosevelt for sure. Well, and with regards to Wilson, we would be remiss if we didn't mention the fact that Wilson had a massive stroke about half halfway through his term, if I'm not mistaken. And his wife was signing stuff. Edith Wilson was was operating as regent for him. But then that goes to the question of whether or not Woodrow Wilson was ever ever really in charge at all. Again, historians who are listen who are listening chime in on this, you know, what do you think? Who do you think the last actual genuine um president of the United States who wielded actual authority was. And we can just, we can go through, we can go down the line. We can do this with monarchs. We can do this with prime ministers. You can do it. There's all kinds of paradigms with which you can do that. Anything that is a, that is a public body or organization, um, it can, it can even be argued. I'm sure there are people who would like to chime in with regards to various and sundry corporations about whether or not, the guy who's the president and CEO was actually the one who was running the company. I'm sure there's all kinds of stories and citations and people could stay, say things about Steve Jobs or, you know, Bill no, Gates Steve at Microsoft. No, Steve Jobs was or, definitely in control. Okay, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, though, that we're to the point now where it's private corporations and NGOs and things like that have a more um, authentic power structure with regards to who they are as presenting as, as who's in charge, whereas everything in terms of public governance at this point is just is completely fake. And again, it's not my my main point isn't the fact that it's fake. My main point in all of this is that it's fake. And everyone knows that it's fake. Queen Elizabeth was the the sovereign liege lord of of the United Kingdom and all of its territories, and she was absolutely nothing. Joe Biden is dying of dementia. He's the president of the United States. He's the leader of the free world, and everybody knows that he has absolutely no power or authority at all. And everybody goes along with this. The problem now, the big problem, and this is Satan's ultimate target, is the papacy. So now you've got people arguing, they're falsely arguing that Jorge Bergoglio is the Pope, which he isn't. Pope Benedict is the Pope because Pope Benedict never resigned, as all listeners and readers of Barnhart podcasts and properties well know. Um, so you've got this anti-Pope in there. And you're using the anti-pope now to get even traditional Catholics to start arguing, well, yes, the pope is the vicar of Christ on earth, but of course, no, he doesn't have any actual real authority because the only way that these Trad Inc. and, you know, the Catholic Identity Conference and Mike Matt and Peter Krasniewski and all these people, the only way that they can reconcile and they can keep going 
holding this false base premise that the anti-pope, that Jorge Bergoglio is the pope, is if they tear the authority of the papacy down in exactly the same way that all other monarchies have been torn down by Freemasonry and how other offices, other secular political offices, most especially now the presidency of the United States, slightly prominent, slightly prominent, um, is a false puppet front and that the presented leader has no authority and it's just shrugged off and taken for granted and everybody knows that. They have to take that paradigm and map it onto the papacy and the way they're, the way Satan in his has set up this chessboard is getting this accomplished through the Bergoglian anti-papacy. So you've got people embracing the false base premise that Jorge Bergoglio is the Pope, and now they're all aggressively arguing, which not one of them, not one of them, would have made anywhere close to this argument 10 years ago today. Because think about it, 10 years ago today was October 10th, 2012, and Pope Benedict was still exercising exercising the office not one of these people would have made the argument 10 years ago today that well of course the papacy never doesn't have any actual authority da 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 okay so i got a question here when did the term recognize and resist really show up and i realize this is a term more used by the set of a contest at people like michael matt who claim to be traditionalist but resist the pope I don't recall this ever being a thing before nope. Francis nope. was the putative pope. Nope, absolutely not. Nope. And it's uh, another name for it is um, Gallicanism because the French would for for years would make the argument that, um, well, the Pope of Rome has too much power. And so it's it was kind of called Gallicanism. But no recognize and resist this is a this is a total fabrication out of whole cloth it seems to me this gallican mindset um that had to be invented when it became just so glaringly obvious that jorge bergoglio wasn't the pope and i don't know i think i think it was before i i came out as saying Benedict didn't resign, Bergoglio's an anti-pope. I came out and said that in June of 16, June of 2016, and I think the term recognize and resist was already starting to be bandied about before that. Um, I'm sure we could do some sort of a search engine search and see if we can we could pin it down using the calendar calendar function. But yeah, this it, this is this is all a complete innovation and huh, well done episode 180 talking about doing 180s. I mean, these these trading people have done a 180 on the papacy. They were they were Catholic before before Bergoglio and Vatican I and infallibility and the vicar of Christ on earth is the vicar of Christ on earth and this is a divinely this is a divinely established office by our lord and savior in the gospels with supernatural negative protection when teaching on faith and morals and and everybody was completely totally 100% sound in Tratty land 10 years ago today and now it's been it's this complete inversion and um 
I think a lot of what has contributed to that and what facilitated these people doing this 180 flip-flop on all of that is they were already comfortable from the idea, if, he, if even only subconsciously. They were comfortable with the idea from the fact that you've got the example of the British monarchy, which is people will say is everything and nothing simultaneously. She's the, she's the sovereign liege lord of the United Kingdom and she's absolutely nothing. And they'll, they'll say this literally in the same breath without even flinching. And then you've got the dynamic as we were just talking about, about the US presidency where it's, well, come on, everybody knows that, that the president isn't actually calling the shots, that the shots are being called, you know, in foggy bottom or something like that. And, and, everything that's coming out of the White House is just is just theater for public consumption. That's how these people, I'm convinced, were able to then make this cognitive jump to where you could you could do a 180 on the papacy in order to justify your intransigent position that Bergoglio is the Pope. And a ending that I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of where the calls are coming from, they're coming from the capstone committee, whoever they are. I just don't know. Yeah, whoever they are. Wherever yeah. they are. And they're probably in some nuclear safe bunker because, you know, we're, we're recording on 1010 or, like I said, uh, in Europe, 1010. Um, in three days will be the anniversary of the Miracle of the Sun. I hope the missiles don't fly that day, but it would be a good day in terms of symbology for it to happen. I don't know. Things are going strange. Um we need to be confessed, stay confessed. Yeah. And in terms of our reliance on priests, I know you had another topic you wanted to get to. I don't know if you wanted to keep uh, on the previous topic or go to the next no, one. No, let's, let's switch and go ahead and cover it because it's timely and it's unpleasant, but we need to talk about it. I'll let you go for it. All right. We need to talk about Father James Jackson and this whole situation. Um, it's It's sick and it's awful and it's terrible, but you know, grown up adults need to discuss things like this when they when they come up. Um, so backgrounder, did I know him? Yes, he was the pastor of the uh, of the FSSP parish in Littleton, Colorado. So you know, I was in that parish from 2008 until 2013 when I left Colorado. I have not stepped foot in the state of Colorado coming up on 10 years now. I'm, I'm not sure how many people in the listenership realize that because yes, I still maintain a mailbox in Colorado. That's my mail drop. I haven't stepped foot in the state in almost 10 years. Um, so and apparently just looking at the news and, and talking to people, I got out of there just in time. Right after I left the state, they legalized weed and it's been in a severe downward spiral ever since then. And apparently now, <laughs> I saw this news reportage within the last week or so, and it put my jaw on the, th on the floor. Four of the top 10 categories of crime, four of the top 10 cities in terms of various and sundry uh, crime categories are, are now in the state of Colorado. Denver, Aurora, Pueblo, and I think Westminster, Colorado, are at are are on the top of the national lists in terms of crime. When I moved to Colorado 25 years ago, and it's wow, how weird is it that it's been 25 years ago? Um, 25, yeah, fall of fall of 97, Colorado was just 
almost a, a, a paradise. There, it was super low crime, um, very, very hard right. The only, the only um, counties that would go left were Denver County, so you know, right downtown, and Boulder, and Boulder County. All the rest of the state was conservative. It was it was a really pleasant place to live 25 years ago, and apparently now I'm hearing from people that it's just terrible. Um, even the area that I used to live in, um, Lone Tree, uh, pretty much a brand new, brand new suburban, you know, development, all all new everything, and apparently now you can't leave your car outside because there's junkies and people you know vandalizing and breaking into cars i mean this is it's it's unbelievable it was unheard of there was no crime there when when i was there um so yeah i was in i was in that parish i had i think probably two conversations with jackson in all that time i wasn't i wasn't hanging around and i wasn't talking to priests much at all um it I've never had a spiritual director ever, so don't let everyone be completely disabused in the notion that that Jackson was my spiritual director or anything of the sort. I've never had any spiritual director, and I wouldn't have a spiritual director now because if I did, then he would be blamed or he would be blamed for everything I say and do. So, you know, it, it, he would be accused of feeding me things to say about you know the anti-papacy etc cetera, etc cetera. and that's simply not the case everything i say and do is for good or for ill coming right out of my own my own noggin i'm not being fed anything by anyone um so he was just yeah i mean he was just there he was the priest um i would i did go uh probably 10 times and all the time I was there, he would do um, what was called adult catechisms in like Thursday evenings or something like that. And I would go sit and listen to those. And they were always very interesting. Um, in terms of Jackson, am I surprised by all of this child porn stuff? Well, yes, yes, absolutely. In one sense, yes. He didn't throw any pervy or or inappropriate vibes he seemed very normal um he was a he was a marine corps chaplain so again just the, the word is normal he just seemed normal his preaching was good he was obviously very well read um and his preaching was extemporaneous and he had prepared all of his own all of his own homilies he had prepared all of his own adult catechisms he he did write that book um nothing superfluous which um i'll probably end up circling back to that but that book needs to be pulled pulped and somebody needs to rewrite it you know like peter kwasniewski and father zulsdorf and duncan stroik need to get together and basically rewrite that book so that it can be republished so that information can persist um but i guess i i, I should make clear that given given what's happened and given what i've actually been told from the very beginning of this situation from people on the ground in in rhode island um that obviously this situation is is very 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 bad and very horrific um well and he was paroled or released on some 
somehow released from from prison awaiting for the court trial. action. Yeah. Went to Kansas and while he was in Kansas was arrested again on new child porn charges. On, on trying to access. He was living with his sister. He was released to go live with his sister in the outskirts of Kansas City somewhere, which is where he was from originally. And yeah, they've, they've just re-arrested him again because a fresh, you know, I guess the Overland Park um, police had identified that <laughs> here we go again someone's accessing accessing child porn and it's coming from his sister's house where he's living they go in he's got uh he's got a computer with an external hard drive which is against the terms of his parole he's non-cooperative they send him back to rhode island and he admits that there's probable cause and at this point i i don't know i don't know but i would assume that his sister was probably like okay <laughs> done I, I i tried i did what i could for you but you you belong in prison now so it's it's extremely bad now here's information that i got very very early on in this i did publish a piece right away i remember very specifically a homily he gave in which he referenced um the movie i confess which is an alfred hitchcock film starts it stars Mar montgomery clift as a priest who is um basically painted into a corner by a murderer who goes to him in the confessional admits the murderer admits that he has committed murder and this therefore then locks the priest into not being able to say anything and so the the murder has basically framed the priest and used the sacrament of confession in order to prevent the priest from exposing any of this unto the point that the priest is is facing because this is it's set in quebec city so this is this is um it's set in 1940s 1950s um canada at which point the death penalty was still in play so you know this this priest is facing the gallows this priest is facing the death penalty and he he would and he is called to die rather than break the seal of the confessional it is a really good movie it is a beautiful movie and because it's it's uh it was all filmed by hitchcock in quebec city which is one of the most beautiful cities in north america in the church which if if i'm not mistaken and this was the reason why jackson mentioned the movie in, in this homily that he gave is because the fssp was given this church in quebec city and it is absolutely exquisite it is one of the most beautiful churches in north america and if for no other reason you can watch i confess just so you can sit there and drool over this church and then dun, 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 the fssp was just given this church and it was it was very interesting so you know i initially posted on that now i had information that i was given pretty quick after that from people on the ground in rhode island so there's, there's a couple of things. Number one, Jackson had a brain tumor, and this was not a secret. He, in, in fact, I remember him speaking about um, his brain tumor situation and the symptoms that he was having, like buzzing in the ears and things like that, from the pulpit. So this, this was not a secret. Jackson had and has a brain tumor. Does that factor into any of this? Would a brain tumor potentially cause someone to do something as spectacularly evil as watch and traffic in um, not just child pornography, but this pornography involved infants 
infants, female infants and toddlers. Um, it's it's unspeakable. Uh, that I, I suppose that's possible. That uh, a symptom of of a brain tumor is that it can it can mess with a person's moral center. But you know that's never been. No one's ever talked about that. That's never been argued. That's never been brought up. So Jackson in September of 2021 went to the FSSP's ordinations in Nebraska. He had been transferred from Denver to Providence, Rhode Island in August, and he had moved to Rhode Island like the beginning of August. He then right away in September goes to ordinations in Nebraska. People who saw him there reported that he was um, showing signs of cognitive malfunctioning, presumably due to the tumor, that he was repeating himself, that he had a very poor short-term memory, et cetera, et cetera. Now, fast forward about a month, I know people in Providence who had parishioners in that parish there who had dinner with Jackson two weeks, two weeks before he was arrested. And they said that he was cognitively 100% sharp as attack, encyclopedic memory, conversation, charming, funny, the whole nine, that he was completely normal. So there's that information. Then these same parishioners who, who were there in um, Providence who were privy to this inf information right off the top said, told me, it, this is very, very bad. Don't be jumping on any bandwagons or anything or any fundraisers. Don't, because this, this is extraordinarily bad. Um, and that this is very hard to talk about um that from the beginning um there was there was the possibility again don't know this for sure but there was the possibility that jackson himself was in the videos that he had which opens up an entire an entire different avenue um with this that Jackson was initially cooperating and the thought process was that there's a possibility, again, possibility, that Jackson was himself in the videos. And if that is the case, then that means that he's in some sort of a network, which means that he could then potentially know who these children are. I mean, we kind of forget about that. When you find, when you see and there is pornography like this, one of the first questions that needs to come up is, who are these kids? We, we have to go get these kids because it's probably their parents or guardians who are delivering them to be raped and for this pornography to be made with them. Where are these kids? We have to go get these kids and figure out who this is. If, if there was this possibility that Jackson is himself in the videos, then he then Jackson is, is in a network somehow. And then that implies that it goes back to, to Colorado and 
you know, being within a, a, a radius of Denver so that, you know, anywhere that Jackson could get in a car easily without being missed so that, you know, the Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, Western Kansas, um, um, New Mexico, maybe even into Utah, there's, or there's just, this whole, or just the giant base under Denver national airport. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that drags all of that into this. And if the feds are trying to work their way back into figuring out who these kids are and what this network is, then they need to be allowed to do that. Um, and you, super nerd, could probably speak to the fact that geolocation is for real. They do have ways of of backtracking this stuff. And the forensics that goes on with child porn, you know, a lot of it is produced in, in motel rooms and things like that. And they are incredible at looking at, you know, the background, any sort of a detail that's in the background, they can figure out where things happened, um, where a lot of times where these things were recorded, they can hear, they can pick up background noises. Um, if there's a television on, what's playing on the television, there's all kinds of things that they can do. And just obviously anything that can be done to help to find these kids. I mean, it's just priority one is go rescue these babies, you know? So l let that all play out. I was frankly surprised that he was released, that he was released to go live with his sister in Kansas City. I would have thought that given what I was told that, that he would have been, um, he would have been kept in prison as, as a danger to society. But, um, if, if, if he, if they suspected that he was himself in the videos, um, so, um, so let me look at my notes, make sure I hit everything that I wanted to say. With um, regard to geolocation, yes, that's a very real thing. And there yeah. are some ways to get around it. But there are some ways to un-get around that if you are a, an authority who has intercept equipment in the right locations. So Well, and this oh, this is another backgrounder on Jackson. And this is another thing that the the people on the ground in Rhode Island kind of clued me into. Everybody who ever was around Jackson or had anything to do with Jackson, he was the word I now use is ostentatious. He was ostentatious and almost in a certain sense braggadocious about his alleged complete and total incompetence with anything technological and he he claimed that he emails because he was just so incompetent with computers and uh, it's and, and it was just every everybody knew knew this and so if you talk to people on the ground who are in that parish in denver they'll say well this isn't possible he was he was completely and totally inept and helpless with computers how was he how was he running this this infant porn hub on on the dark web apparently guys unfortunately this is a very common thing that these people who are who are tied up in pornography do. They put forth this mendacious front that they have no idea how to use computers. And meanwhile, in, you know, behind closed doors, they're highly, highly proficient with computers. And I've said this before, this this pornography stuff, I've only seen accidentally 
on the internet in my entire life, like three pornographic images. The stuff that Jackson was dealing with, with infants and toddlers and all that, I wouldn't, I don't, I wouldn't even have any idea. I think you have to have a separate, you have to have a different operating system. I mean, I don't think you just use Windows and, you know, or go to Google and type in XYZ and you go land on some website that has these files. As I understand it, you need a, a massive level of proficiency that I personally have absolutely no idea. What is that? What is that operating system called Tor? Is that is that what it's called for the when, dark web? When you said that you need a totally different operating system, I was thinking in terms of the way somebody thinks, acts, and operates because my thought was, thinking about that, it's like, okay, once I finish vomiting, when yeah. I hear something like this, the next thought in my mind is, I want to kill the bleeper who yeah. did this or had yep. anything to do with it. I'm not even sure that I would be benevolent enough to give them the chance to confess. I just like dispatch you go you go talk to the judge. And yeah. I mean the capital J, the judge. And isn't it you. isn't it interesting you say that because it was Jackson himself who told a story about a priest in um central Kansas somewhere south of, of Salina in the early twentieth century, so in the nineteen teens or something like that, who was caught raping a young boy. And the male parishioners there in the community just said, you're done. We're taking you out and we're going to kill you. And I think they even, they probably even summoned the sheriff or something. And they took care of business. They took the guy out and they killed him. Um, and then they wrote a letter to the bishop, you know, Father so-and-so didn't show up for mass on Sunday morning. He's gone. Send another one. And, you know, looking at the moral laseity of that, Jack Jackson is a dead man. And this was actually the last point in my bullet, but that's okay, we can jump around. He's a dead man. Um, and maybe that's exactly what he needs. Um, the feds aren't gonna give him the death penalty, obviously, because they don't give the death penalty for for infant porn like this but the other inmates will but the other inmates absolutely will so as soon as he's in the general population he's a dead man and maybe as we've been talking in previous episodes about um about you know the death penalty and the medicinal effects of it and knowing that you're going to die now jackson doesn't know that he's going to be killed by firing squad at at dawn on this and such a date but I suspect that he must know that once he gets into the general population, that he will only last days, perhaps weeks. I'd be surprised if he lasts months. Um, being a priest and in for infant porn, he's, he's a dead man. Maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is what he needs to repent. Um, but then it goes to the question, okay, because we were talking about the brain tumor. Well, what about um, preternatural influence here? Because, I mean, this guy fooled everybody, fooled absolutely everybody, and wrote that book, Nothing Superfluous, which is, admittedly, it is, it is a fantastic book, and that's why it needs to be pulled and rewritten. Um, I think that, yes, this is so egregious, 
And now that we've seen, you know, the date stamps of when exactly he was accessing stu- this stuff in Providence, um, it was it was on Sunday afternoons. Uh, several of the several of the date stamps of when they pinged him um, accessing and and swapping this infant porn was um, Sunday afternoons. Now. As a lot of the listeners know, I made pilgrimage to Rome coming up on 10 years ago now, which is amazing. Um, and what, what, you know, I learned a lot in Rome and a lot of the things that I learned in Rome were extremely ugly. Um, so nothing, nothing scandalizes me anymore. Was I surprised by Jackson? Yes. Was, am I scandalized by this? Oh, absolutely not. Nothing at this point, nothing can scandalize me with regards to, you know, the the priesthood and all and all this kind of stuff um one of the things i learned is that the the peak time in the city of rome for male prostitutes is sunday afternoon priests say they're do whatever they have to do they say their sunday mass they fulfill their whatever work obligations they have on sunday mornings they eat lunch and then they all go to the numerous locations, the train stations, um, certain certain piazzas, certain landmarks where the male prostitutes congregate. And the number one time during the entire week for the male prostitution business in the city of Rome is Sunday afternoons. And apparently Jackson was also on that same schedule. It looks like he was finishing up with Sunday mass, eating lunch, and then going and doing his infant porn business, um, according to the timestamps that, that were recently released. So yeah, this guy was fooling everybody and he was fooling everybody to such an extent that yes, I do suspect that there's preternatural involvement here. Whether you call it demonic oppression, whether you call whether uh, Jackson had, was actually in cahoots with Satan and an, and had invited some sort of possession or or assistance, uh, it's he he was so deceptive and so consistently deceptive, and nobody suspected anything. That's the thing. Don't think that the people in Denver are a bunch of naive yokels and and you know here's this creeper and and he and you know they they all should have cottoned to this guy I, no jackson was astounding astounding in his ability to conceal all of this to the point that yeah i suspect that there's something probably preternatural at work and involved here um let's see what else do I want to talk about? Um, the questions come up based upon what he was doing in his sister's house in Kansas City. It almost seems like he wanted to get caught. Uh, yeah, I mean, how, how could he not know at this point that, you know, they're, they're watching him, that they're, they're, they're going to be watching him, they're keyed in on him, and I mean, just the, the absolute the boldness and the stones to even attempt to be doing this, knowing that it's, it's, I mean, you're done, you're done. You're, you're going to be thrown back in prison. You're going to be tried. You're going to be found guilty and you're going to be killed. You're going to be killed in prison. Why, why would he, why would he do this? And there's some speculation that he wanted to be caught um, we've also had the conversation about Satanists at a certain point having to public, public, um, 
you know, there's all kinds of those things are possible. Um, I mentioned the book, uh, Nothing Superfluous, his book, It Needs to Be Pulled. Liturgists, um, Peter Kwasniewski, Father Z, and there's an entire section about architecture in it, um, talking about how to build a church, the Borman and Thomistic, I believe the Thomistic um, aesthetic criterion of properly building a Catholic church. Um, I would say that the architect Duncan Stroik would be a good candidate as a person who should be lobbied to rewrite and make sure that that the information gets out there. And um, the publisher should pull Jackson's book and pulp any copies that are that they still have an inventory and are floating around and give people the opportunity to to buy, rebuy essentially the book with with the information in it so that they don't have to have Jackson's book sitting on their bookshelf. No matter how good the information is, I would be creeped out having that. I, I don't own a copy of it. So and if I did, it would be I'd burn it. I'd get it out of the house. I wouldn't want anything to do with it in there. Um Oh, one of the things that just the last week, 10 days, is broken about what's going on with regards to Jackson and his defense. He, his attorney has made the argument that all of the, all of the child porn that was collected in the rectory, in Jackson's room, in Providence, Rhode Island, when they did the initial raid, should be suppressed and thrown out because it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment search and seizure. And it, what's interesting is if you read the way Jackson's attorney um, makes this argument, there Jackson is essentially trying to throw his confreres and the other people that were there working in that in that parish under the bus. He's trying to cast suspicion on these other people, which is <laughs> cast suspicion on them for something that is that is so horrific and so egregious. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, Father Jackson is such a man of integrity that he would he would never he would never admit to something that he didn't do. Well, I mean, now with the secondary arrest and and his accessing of child porn at his sister's house in Kansas City, I mean, Okay, look, we know what the deal is, all right? We know what the deal is. He's now trying to throw other priests there who were in, who were in Providence, who might have been in Providence previously, um, the staff who work there, there might be janitorial staff. Um, uh, even, even I'm sure there's some, there's some very nice lady who answers the phone and is the parish secretary. What he's doing by allowing his his and directing presumably his attorney to make this argument that um, the the initial search warrant was a violation of his Fourth Amendment rights is now trying to cast cast the cloud of suspicion over everyone else, everyone else that was in and around that parish, um, which is, <laughs> I mean. It's not as morally reprehensible as the what we were just talking about with regards to the nature of the of the pornography itself, but it's it's right up there, equally as morally reprehensible. Trying trying to cover your own by casting the pall of suspicion over other people by making this Fourth Amendment um, argument. It's um, 
that's pretty disgusting. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, one person that I would be very, very, very fascinated to talk to um, is the other priest that was there in Denver with with Father Jackson for years and years and years from the he had he had just arrived about a year before I started going there in like 2008. Uh, he was a fairly young priest, newly ordained, I think, and um, he lasted he lasted quite a while. He was uh, his name was Father Joseph Hardy, and again he seemed like he seemed like a good priest, and it seemed like Jackson and Hardy got along. They lived together in the rectory that was right across the street from the from the church there. Father Hardy was was riding his bicycle there in Littleton and was hit by a car and was very badly injured. And um, apparently the fraternity of St. Peter wanted to transfer him and he wanted to stay in Denver to continue with his physical therapy. And so he left the fraternity and was incarnated into the Archdiocese of Denver and was in fact, he was, he was saying both. He was saying the Novus Ordo and he was saying the Old Mass, but he was saying the Old Mass quite a lot as I understood it. And this is after I left the state. He was saying the Old Mass downtown at the cathedral, at the Denver Cathedral, which is pretty cool. Um, so he was there, he was then, um, he was in a parish, he was in a Novus Ordo parish for a while, but I think all the, all the while he was still, he was still saying both the Old Mass and the New Mass. The last I had heard, though, and before all this Jackson broke, Father Hardy had completely quit the priesthood and has been laicized and is gone. Nobody knows hiding or hair of where he is. In retrospect now, in retrospect, I think it would be very interesting to talk to Father Hardy. Um, what what happened why he had he seemingly had a very strong faith strong priesthood he was the priest who um he said mass in front of planned parenthood there in denver on east colfax said offered the holy sacrifice right there in front of planned parenthood it made it made national news he was going great guns um and not it wasn't just that he left the fraternity of saint peter but then to be completely laicized one has to start asking the questions what what in the world went on there and i would hasten to remind people of what we just talked about with regards to the movie i confess and priests getting getting painted into corners by people confessing things to them that 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 the priest can then never ever 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 talk about and this entire dynamic another thing that i learned in rome is that one thing that, you know, sodomites, wh whether it be other clergy or layman sodomites who are hanging around sacristies and hanging around parishes, what they would do is that if a new priest came in and they, they identified that this new priest that came in was heterosexual and was pious and had, had, was firm in his faith and was not on board with sodomy, one of the one of the first things they would do is they would immediately go and confess to this priest thus binding his hands so to speak such that the priest can now never say anything and can never use the fact that he knows that that these people are are not just sodomites but active sodomites they they paint 
good priests into corners like this. I'm not saying that I know that that's what happened with Father Hardy, but in retrospect, I, I have to sit here and think, what in the world went on? Why did Father Hardy request laicization for heaven's sakes? What, what, what went on there? Um, it would be, I, I don't know, I, I suppose he deserves his privacy in one sense, and if he is bound by the seal of confessional, he can't say anything anyway. What purpose would it serve? But I don't know. I just, I bring it up because I've been, you know, obviously thinking about this quite a lot, especially over the course of the last, you know, week, 10 days since the, the Kansas City arrest and all of that came to light and what exactly is going on. And um, I, I fully admit that I would very much like to sit down and talk to Father Hardy, who is now no longer Father Hardy. He's just Mr. Hardy, apparently, um, and and ask him what what in the world went on there. And um, I don't know if the feds have done that or not, or what the deal is. But um, I don't know. Prayers prayers for prayers for Joseph Hardy. Uh, no matter what, I I I wish him the best as as we do everyone in this in this situation well obviously the ground rules and expectations for a priest a traditional catholic priest in denver usa is going to be different than in rome but i would imagine i or i would hope that a priest in rome before he's allowed to hear confessions at all is going to be briefed saying you may have this scenario pop up in the confessional and if somebody like these sodomites comes forward and says, I want to confess to you to sort of um, conflict you out, is the term mm-hmm. I've heard with regard to lawyers, mm-hmm. um, that at that point they, the priest can say, stop, this confession's done. I'm not going to give you absolution. There are rules and protocols for what you just said, and I cannot give you absolution. You are going to have to see so-and-so. But but the priest is still bound by the seal, even if he doesn't even if he doesn't give absolution, if it is said in the context of the sacrament, but then the, the seal the seal is binding, whether whether or not he gives absolution or not. Wouldn't there be reason to believe that in a lot of cases, especially what you're saying, that the person had no intention of actually confecting a sacramental Oh sure. Confession. Oh sure. They're and so wicked. The, yeah. And so the uh, the presumption of the seal of confession is null. Hmm. And it's a difference and between between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. The letter of the law says you can't talk about it. Period. But it also presumes that there would be a competent authority in Rome who actually wants to crack down on this, which, which we there isn't. know there, there that's, isn't. that's fantasy world at this point. That's just, that was the next point I was going to make. Your, your assumption about what the state of affairs is on the ground with regards to the priesthood, with regards to the functioning of, of the church militant on the ground in Rome is, is Pollyanna-ish. Um, it's it's so heavily infiltrated. I was talking to someone and they said it's it's easily, easily eighty percent in the priesthood, easily. And it's um the situation is very, very, very bleak. But then I mean, what on the other hand, what do you do? What what if someone does has engaged in let's say sacrilegious sodomy let's say for example a layman has engaged in sodomy with a priest and the layman wants to turn his life around and wants to change and wants to go to confession 
I mean, is is the sacrament is the sacrament of penance not available to them? Well, of course it is. It should be. You can't go into a situation like that and just and and have this this uber um, cynical mindset with regards to the sacrament of confession. That is why people like Saint Padre Pio, who could read souls, this ability to read souls is is so miraculous because yeah he could tell he could tell when people were approaching the sacrament to game him to attempt to game him or even you know to confess and not be sorry and that's what's scary is because you know i'm sure everyone listening and myself included um i'm sure we've all confessed the same sin more than one time so what does that mean does that mean that the times before when we went to confession that we didn't really mean it and you start, you can fall into really, really bad um, scrup uh, scrupulosity issues when you start thinking like that. Well, of course, of course, everybody has recourse to the sacrament of penance, and our Lord's our, our Lord's mercy is infinite. And I don't think that we can get to a point where you've got a brand new priest sits down in the box, and someone comes in and starts confessing sacrilegious sodomy, and you say, "No, I think you're I think you're full of crap. Get out of here." Um, I, but there I don't, is the provision where certain sins can be reserved, so it it would be. But that's the, not one of them. <laughs> it it's up to the bishop or the legitimate authorities. I mean, it, it, the bishop of a diocese could say that if somebody comes into the into the confessional and confesses that they're a fan of the Oakland Raiders, stop the confession right now. That's reserved to me personally. Tell them to come see me. No priest is allowed to, to absolve them for that. Here's and the problem. To, totally in Rome, the cheek. vast majority, the vast majority of prelates in Rome are sodomites themselves. Hate to say it, but it's the truth. It's the truth. But so I'm just that, saying in terms of, of canon law, I mean, it, it, for example, if a priest goes to confession and says, I broke the, the, the uh, confessional seal, that's reserved to Rome. That unless, is reserved Unless to Rome. something yep. changed. And unless he's at the point of death, in which case Ecclesia Suplet. But yep. there are a, a basket of sins. Pretty soon it's going to be attending a traditional Catholic mass, I'm sure, are, yep. are going to be. There are there are some sins that are reserved uh, that the priests have not been given jurisdiction to absolve them. It used to be that abortion was one of those. You had to yeah. go, you had to confess to the bishop, bishop, or, yep, or to the Roman Rota. Uh, and of course, anti Pope Bergoglio. Um, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember his missionaries of mercy? He he abolished all of that, or al allegedly abolished all of that. Um, so the the abortion the abortion thing he abolished all that. Any priest can forgive abortion at any time, no questions asked. Um, what else was it? What are the other things that are reserved? Yeah, but that gets into the into the area of common error where people believe he really is the Pope, including the, whether it's the people who are, are hearing this, the, the laity or mm -hmm. the priests. So in that case, there is provision to say Ecclesia Suplet and yeah. the, the authority that should not have been granted to the priest to give absolution, the church is going to supply because right. people don't realize he's not the Pope. Right, and also because... Ecclesia Suplet is is what's the word? It's um it's canted always towards our Lord's mercy. So, for example, when when anti Pope Bergoglio declares uh, the year of mercy and opens all the jubilee doors and does all this stuff, 
well, that's valid. And if you can avail yourself of all of that, it's valid not because anti-Pope Bergoglio has any actual authority. It's valid because the church supplies jurisdiction and it clearly canted towards our Lord's mercy and bringing people back. Ecclesia Suplet can never be used to do anything that's wicked. It can never be used to justify anything wicked, which is something that people really need to need to keep in mind um, as this anti-papacy grinds on and on and on. Um, it applies to things that are good, and it does not apply to things that are objectively evil. And just in case you're not a Latinist, Ecclesia Suplet is a phrase meaning the church supplies jurisdiction or supplied jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. So in the case where a priest should not have authority to absolve somebody of the sin of abortion because it was not understood by both the priest and the person uh, confessing that the junior bishop in white isn't actually the pope, then the church gives uh, jurisdiction in that case because yeah. There was in there. It's a case of invincible error. The person had true contrition. The priest had the intention to do what the church does. He right. was just confused about who had the authority to say and give rules for things. Right, right. God is a very, very, very good human resources manager. He provides for all of these emergency situations, and and the provision is always logical and it's always good. You know. Um, let me go through my notes and see if there's anything else I wanted to talk about. Uh, just, I guess, the last, oh, the last thing I want to mention is everybody and their uncle is going to jump on this Jackson situation and say, see, this is why we should have married, married priests, because when you have, when you have celibate men, um, it causes them to turn into sex pervert monsters, and this has to be fought tooth and nail, and I, I mean, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It, it, there, and there's going to be more and more trads saying, well, look, if Jackson turned into this, well, then maybe the solution to all of this is that we do have married priests. Nope, you are playing exactly into Satan's hands. The, the priesthood is reserved to celibate men and or, or married men who are living in perfect perpetual continence, meaning that he and his wife have together decided with the blessing of the bishop that this man is going to be ordained a priest and that the husband and wife are then never, ever, ever going to have sex ever again. And this applies to the diaconate as well. This business of these permanent deacons who are, you know, suburban dudes living with their wives and and sharing the bed with their wives and then going and and being on the altar at mass on sunday morning is absolutely one thousand percent wrong it is an abomination the priest and the deacon anyone who is on the altar major orders and it, it was the subdiaconate too um you are because the, the eucharist is a nuptial and the holy sacrifice of the mass is a nuptial act it's nuptial it's sacrificial and it is um the third motif is the whole notion of the shared meal the two the first one is nuptial because the bridegroom sacrifices himself for the bride the church 
because he is the bridegroom. He doesn't, he doesn't sacrifice himself first, and then the nuptial dynamic comes in after that. The nuptial dynamic, the bridegroom, the bridegroomness of the bridegroom is antecedent to the sacrifice. So the nuptial motif is first, then the sacrificial motif, obviously, of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And then, of course, the, the, the whole meal, the shared meal, the consuming, the consummation by the consumption of, of the meal. And that, mo and that third motif is there. The notion that men who are on the altar are, who are engaging in this nuptial act, who are espoused to Christ and his church and engage in this nuptial act on the altar this super nuptial act let's 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 distinguish it this super duper nuptial act on the on the altar when they're offering the holy sacrifice that they're then going home and they're also having sex with their wives because they're also espoused to their wives this is a this is a a polygamous adulterous situation men who are offering the holy sacrifice should be in perfect perpetual continence, whether they're celibate, that is, they've never been married, or whether they are married men who then seek ordination, which, which is fine, and there's historical precedent. And by the way, all this talk about deaconesses, guys, deaconess back in the, back in the early centuries of the church, when this was going on, when lots and lots of married men were being ordained priests, their wives were called deaconess merely as an honorific precisely because the wife was entering in a certain sense into the priesthood had to give her consent for her husband to be ordained a priest because she had to consent to never never engaging in the marital act ever again to living in perfect and perpetual continence so she had to give her fiat in order for the man to be then ordained a priest so the, calling women deaconess was an honorific and yeah they they oftentimes would in fact they would kind of become many of them would become like like nuns and they would be around and they would be helping in the church and it's it it wasn't that they were divorcing their husband or in fact they it's their love was even greater because it took on this profoundly supernatural component as he becomes a priest so the the wives were around and helping and certainly and they were called deaconess just as as an honorific because of the sacrifice that they had made is that something that was more in the Eastern Church, or did the idea, no. and especially the name deaconess, show up in the Western Church? No, that's super duper old. I mean, we're talking first, second, third century. Because think about it. It was in the first centuries, all, all of the apostles except John, all of them were married. All of them. And they weren't widowed. There's, there's pious tradition about Peter's wife, that he wasn't a widower that his wife was very much alive, that his wife and his two children, I believe Peter had a son and a daughter, and they all went to Rome together. They were all living in Rome. All of those guys were married. And for the first, in the very early days of the church, most of the priests were married. But for goodness sake, it's common sense, and everybody understood until not too terribly long ago that as soon as a married man was ordained a priest, well, that's that's the end of the marital bed with, with his wife. It, it was unthinkable. It was, in fact, the schismatic Eastern Church 
who started say, who who were the first ones to start backing off on this and saying, well, no, you can you can be married and be with your wife as long as you fast from the marital marital bed forty eight hours before. Well, it's like saying you cheat on your wife if there's a forty eight hour window in in between. No, 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 no. Marriage marriage is is singular. It's with one. Um, if you're married to, if you're espoused to Jesus Christ and his holy church, you are by definition then not engaging in the marital act with, with a woman, with your wife. And it was the East, it was a schismatic East that were the first ones to go off the trail on this. I'm, I'm, I've been talking for years now. I was planning on recording right before the Corona scam hit. In fact, in February of 2020, I was talking about recording a huge, I have a huge big presentation on, on priestly celibacy. And then the Corona scam hit and it was like, eh, this isn't the moment. This isn't the moment, but maybe it's time to go back. And maybe, um, this, this moment with this sick tragedy with Jackson is, um, is, is, should light a fire underneath me to do it and explain all of this precisely because this Jackson situation is going to be used a cudgel with which to beat priestly celibacy and say, and I mean, if you just stop and think about it, do you honestly think that if a human being is, is perfectly continent, is chaste, is, is not engaging in sex acts, that, that that turns a person into a sex pervert? Do you honestly believe that? That that's the problem? That that's ridiculous. That's patently ridiculous. And I'd like to raise my hand. I mean, I'm I'm offended by that as a person who isn't who is perfectly continent. Um oh, that, that, that's that's insane. And uh, this is this is a completely luciferian argument and transparently so that if you're not engaging in genital acts that you're going to turn into a an infant porn pervert well that's that's ridiculous and we have to fight this and we have to fight for priestly celibacy because because it is right it is theologically correct and not only that it's it's utterly essential we have to defend priestly celibacy so don't don't fall into the trap of letting the jackson situation convince you yep well that's it yeah we can't have these men we can't have these men like this these celibate men they just they all turn into into perv monsters no no they don't i'm sorry no they don't something there's something else with jackson and as we discussed earlier it's probably involves the preternatural so yeah yeah and it's something that on the one hand there's there's an amount of curiosity to want to know what's going on at the same time i don't want to know just let, yeah. let justice be done and at this point i think we know enough i mean you know i think the information that we have now is is plenty um, I'm just waiting to hear the announcement that he's been killed in prison, frankly. Not that we're rooting for that, but that's the well, likely outcome for people who do what he's accused of doing. Yeah. And if that's what he needs, and if that will be medicinal for his soul, then God's will be done. Which is an interesting statement about natural law and how it's written on the hearts of everybody, even hardened criminals in prison, mm -hmm. that 
crimes like that are so horrendous that yep. they will take the law into their own hands yep. and execute somebody who the state didn't have the guts to execute That's themselves. Right. That's right. It's a, your society is in a very, very, very sad state when it can't even police itself to that extent. And you have to, you have to wait for, <laughs> you have to wait for murderers and rapists and, and all these other people to, to do what you refuse to do because you're too effeminate to do it. Yeah, it's a sad state indeed. Well, that was chipper. I told you that was gonna, it was gonna be kind of bleak, but again, that's we have to talk about it we have to get these things out we have to be adults about this um and you know i i can understand how people would reflexively want to say oh this is all i can't believe it's true i can't believe it's true he was set up he was set up but we have a preponderance of evidence the rearrest in kansas city the fact that his his uh attorney his attorney is trying to make this fourth amendment um, search and seizure argument, essentially throwing everyone else under the bus. I mean, we've got a preponderance of evidence now that that we can uh, we can draw a conclusion. I think so. The trial is allegedly supposed to start in November. Um, I don't know. Like Super Nerd said, there's a certain point where you just it it just becomes ghoulish. And the other thing is even reading about um, reading about descriptions of pornography like that. It's, it's obviously not the same as looking at it with your own eyes, but it's, um, it, it's one of those things that can get into your brain and you don't want it there, you know? So tr tr we have enough information. I would encourage everybody to just not be, not let curiosity get you and um, try to avoid, avoid as much of it as you can going forward. And uh, the other thing I was I was struck by, um, I feel I feel so awful having said what I just said about you know looking at things with your own eyes and getting those images into your mind. Who are these poor people who have to who are working in law enforcement whose job is is to look at this stuff? And somebody has to look at it. At some point, somebody has to look at it to see what it was that you know, these criminals are, are doing what they're doing to the children, what they're looking at, what they're trading. At some point, a person of goodwill has to look at this stuff and just the danger and the, the pain and the agony that must be entailed in having that job. And I would, I would encourage everybody to, I know nobody's a fan of law enforcement, especially the feds at this point, but I would encourage everybody to please remember in prayer and, and lift up in prayer these law enforcement people who's, who do have to look at this stuff as part of their job. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. And there are people who do, and they have to do it so that we can help get these, these monsters off the street and, and, like I said, hopefully find these children who are having these things done to them, presumably by family members. I mean, who else, is, who, who else has custody of an infant? You know, it has to be parents, grandparents, something. Um, I guess there's human trafficking and there are human traffickers who, who, who have access to infants. But sadly, I think the way that most of these cases turn out is that it's either the parents or grandparents. It's, it's, it's custodian 
certain family members of these children and infants who are delivering them to these monsters. So pray for the law enforcement people to to get these people in jail and uh, sent on to their judgment as quickly as possible. And that the, they're not warped by the job they have to do. Yeah. I've, I've heard that the the people who work for YouTube and Facebook doing checks on the the the, yep. the, the flagged videos that go up, these people end up drug addicts and alcoholics and yep. a lot of them commit suicide just at the depravity they end up as yep. a, as a as a function of their job that they didn't they never realized this was, this was going to be part of their job and they certainly weren't read in with a grace of state to be able to do these things i mean i i can see to a certain extent where law enforcement has a quasi um and i use the term very very loosely they have a certain grace of state that based on the the role they have to protect society they have to look into the eyes of the, of the black beast and 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 slay it at, uh, on a case by case basis, and hope they don't become that warped by the beast at, at the same time. Yeah, uh, pray for them that they yeah. don't. And there's a lot of other people who aren't in law enforcement who come across these things. Um, you asked a question that I evaded on purpose earlier about you know what uh, operating system somebody would use to do the kinds of things they do. One of the podcasts I follow uh, is somebody who was a, a uh, I think it was an FBI agent for over 20 years uh, investigating cyber crimes and also work a lot with uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And he dealt with a lot of uh, cases of, of, well, missing and exploited children and, and capturing just the absolute monsters that perpetrated the things that they did. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy comes across as a very cynical jaded um well yeah how could you just not hate humanity after after dealing with that all day every day you would become you would become the textbook definition of a diabolical narcissist you would eventually it seems to me freely choose to purge yourself of all charity so that you got to the point where you just hated everyone as a human being you know in his case, he, he became a recluse. Actually, he became a professional recluse. So he's somebody who, um, he, he worked on the TV show Mr. Robot, not that I ever watched that. And um, because of, of the connections there, he, he was introduced to some people in Hollywood who had the need either for vanity purposes or because they had actual stalkers, needed to be able to disappear but still be in plain sight. Mm-hmm. And this guy had lived this life for so long that he's made a now a, a professional career of how how to how to live life as a more or less normal individual, but not show up on the grid in any way. Mm-hmm. So, what's the name of his podcast? Uh, it's the Privacy, Security, and OSINT podcast. Okay, which I, I found out about because of one of the listeners of the Barnhart podcast, <laughs> which um, I, I I definitely. Um, it's the kind of it's the kind of podcast that very much intrigues me, and the danger for me personally and psychologically is I want to do too much of this. And it's like, it's just mm-hmm. not rational to try to disappear from everybody Yeah, and, and things. I mean, there are some legitimate cases. I mean, if you're somebody who is trying to flee an abusive situation mm-hmm. or you are a, a, um, a law enforcement, maybe, maybe you're a prosecutor and you're taking down some serious animals mm-hmm. that need to go to prison and 
Nobody's going to shed a tear if they get killed in prison. Um, these are the kinds of people who need to not show up on Google searches or even the more advanced uh, data exploit searches. Uh, the, these people have a legitimate need to not have their name attached to to personal property or cars or mm-hmm. anything. So, well, put it in the show notes. I believe I will. All right. Well, we're over two hours. I think we should probably wrap her wrap her up. Uh, the email address, if you have content or questions or feedback or suggestions or happy news items for finishing the podcast. In this case, it's a podcast about security and how to disappear. But uh, if you have feedback, the email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. Anne expresses her profound gratitude to all of her benefactors and at least one traditional Catholic mass is said every single day, mm-hmm. plus one traditional Catholic Latin requiem mass for everybody who died in the previous week. And I know in the last podcast I made reference to uh, whether you're a queen or a pauper, um, because the the, the mass, uh, the, the requiem mass every week is for everybody. Uh, please take a moment to pray for these priests. Uh, we we've you know gone at length about one particular priest who, um, mm-hmm. you know, another point on this too. Let's say he's not killed right away in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, by all apparent. Um, info that we have at this point he's a despicable individual and has done some horrible and heinous things he is still a priest forever has that mark on his soul and if you were ended up in prison because you uh, are too catholic and conservative and he is on your cell block he can still he can still hear your confession and forgive your sins yep and in that sense never write him off continue to pray for him Salvation is never impossible until you decide that you're not even going to try for or seeking it. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's the whole idea of the sin that can't be forgiven, the sin against the Holy Ghost. It's not yeah. that you commit some sin and, and all chance of forgiveness is, is therefore closed off forever. It's when you refuse to even look for forgiveness. That's At right. which point you've told, you basically are throwing a middle finger to Jesus and say, I don't care what you did for me. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. Yep. Which, what do you think? He's going to do to you at that point. Oh, yeah, I mean. Oh, it's not so yeah. much what he's going to do to you. You did it to yourself. But anyway, that's not the kind of priest we're talking about right now. Um, we're talking about the priests who are offering the, the uh, benefactor masses and all the rest of the priests out there who are available to hear your confession uh, right now in your neighborhood or not too terribly far away from you. Pray for them. Pray for their perseverance in the, in the priesthood. Things are going to get very exciting in a negative sense very soon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's going to be on the 13th. I don't know if it's going to be this year. Maybe they find some detente. Maybe maybe um, uh, Elon Musk will actually prevail, and his idea for peace in Ukraine for the time being will 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 happen. I don't think so. I think he'll end up dead mm-hmm. before that happens. But um, yeah. pray for the priests because without them, we really have a, a hard. We're going to have almost an impossible time getting to heaven. We can get to heaven without Elon Musk, but with it, we but without priests, that's going to be really hard. Um, and don't forget to pray for the intercession of the saints. The communion of saints is a wonderful thing. And we have a, a saint here among the podcast family, St. Tiny Princess. Don't forget to invoke her and pray for her. Pray to her, I should say, for your intentions. And the oh, just a general reminder, the, pot, the Barnhart podcast is a value for value podcast, meaning if you got some value out of this and however you define value, um, then I humbly request that you consider returning some value and you could find out more about how to do that at supernerdmedia.com. And since the last podcast, three different people did that. Um, Rick, Joel, and 
just H. <laughs> uh, okay. He, he, he said that he, he, he said that uh, he didn't want to be um, recognized necessarily. That he he would know that uh, his donation was received. But I'm waving virtually. Not that's not a video <laughs> podcast. But I don't know why I'm waving. Um, nothing else uh, in terms of uh, Bitcoin or Amazon. It was just the the three via the mailbox. And that wraps it up for now. So that means it's up to you for Matthew 17.20. Matthew 17.20, pray every day, fast twice a week if you can for our fourfold intention that Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that anti-Pope Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision in the fullness of time, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he might need to repent of, that he die in the state of grace in the fullness of time, and someday achieves the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady of Copacabana, slayer of the Pachamama demon, pray for us. Amen. And until next time, stay confessed, pray the rosary. And until next time, I am Superman. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. And a ending that I wasn't expecting. <laughs>